Hello, everyone. This is Zach Goodman. I'm alongside my co-host, Jordan Smeevil, and today's guest is Brent Dolan. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you, Zach? Doing good. Doing good. I'm doing well. It's always good to get in here and, and talk a little bit about sports. I know we've been uh, off the last couple of weeks. There's just been uh, a few conflicts for all of us. The last time we talked was going into the World Series, actually. Our, our predictions didn't didn't turn out too great, as you know, most people's probably didn't with the Atlanta Braves winning it. They earned it. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, at the end of our podcast, we were we were on like a time crunch, and I was like, you know what? The Braves aren't going to make it. I was so confident that the Dodgers would beat them, and so we didn't even talk about the Braves even being in the World Series, and then they go out and win it. So that's very impressive. <laughs> you know, sometimes your takes, they don't work out, but incredible. Awesome World Series. Great for baseball. Like we said, baseball's in a better place than ever, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, basketball because it's just gotten going. Um, mostly we're going to focus on the NBA, but we'll talk a little bit about college basketball at the end. This is Smack Talk. It's a podcast brought to you by the Webster University Sports Media and Analytics Club. We're recording today, Thursday, November 18th, and the NBA is already a few weeks into the season. So we have a little bit of a grasp at how these teams are going to look this season. They're about 12, 13 games in, depending on the team. Who do you guys think are contenders this year for legitimate championship contenders? Not just teams that will make the playoffs, but teams that you really think could win the NBA yeah, title well, this year. I just think talking about it now gives a lot of base, a couple basis points to go off kind of 15 or so games into the season. It's a lot better than having just to make your predictions without uh, knowing what's going on on the court. And I think obviously you're going to have your contenders from last year Bucks have started off a little slow, but I think they'll pick it up. Kind of that championship hangover from a long season uh, over the summer and a late finals run that almost lasted into, I don't even know how long it lasted, I think into, into July. And then you're going to have your, the Suns. Obviously, they're they're really young, but they, they were there, and I think they'll, be, they'll uh, have a run at it again this year. And I think they were fortunate last year. They caught a few breaks not having a full, uh, fully healthy Lakers team and, and uh, not having to go through – Jamal Murray after he got hurt, but uh, I think they should be right back in there. And then one more team that I'd point out is the Warriors. Uh, they've been the hottest team so far in the league, and they're doing this all without Klay Thompson, who will go down by the end of his career as one of the best three-point shooters of all time. Obviously, you have Steph playing at the peak of his career still at age 33. Uh, it seems like he's only getting better. And then Draymond being a catalyst on the defensive end for that team who's not just with Steph shooting the ball. So those three teams are off to a great start. Yeah, I definitely have the Warriors up there. I mean, they started hotter than any team in the league so far. They're 12 and 2. Uh, they just trounced the Nets the other night. So, like, it's going to be really hard to take them down, especially when Steph is playing at this level. Uh, Wiggins is there every night. He's not as bad as he has been in the past. Uh, Draymond's always going to be there, especially in the playoffs. Uh, he talks a lot about being a 16 game player, not an 82 game player. Uh, so, you can just expect him to ramp it up. Plus, Clay Thompson isn't even back. And if there's any player that can come back from those injuries well, it's probably the guy that just basically catch and shoots the whole game. Uh, a lot of his game's not based on athleticism. So I think him coming back is just going to propel them even higher, which is weird to say when they're 12 and 2 and beating everyone off the court. <laughs> and you say that, that, like you said, their second best player is Clay Thompson. He hasn't even stepped on the court in seemingly two years, unfortunately, for him. He's been dealing with those injuries um, to the ACL and the Achilles. Uh, but the other thing you mentioned about Clay Thompson is he's a great defender. He's one of the better defenders at the shooting guard point guard position in the NBA. So he brings that to the table as well. And like you said, he doesn't have to move much, especially for a guy coming off of leg injuries. It is going to be good for him not to uh, move as much. There's highlights of him scoring like 50 points and only dribbling the ball 13 times in the entire game. He knows his role. and he, <laughs> I mean, he can really shoot the ball. Like you said, one of the greatest three point shooters of all time. Right. And, and, the one thing that we haven't noted about the Warriors yet is their championship pedigree. I think that's very important when you get into the playoffs. They've been there a lot. Deep deep, deep playoff runs with that core group that they've had. And we talk about the trade deadline and how teams use that deadline to um, develop their team or kind of give their team a little bit of a push over the edge and do a playoff run. And Clay Thompson, I don't, he'll be back presumably before the trade deadline, but he's kind of like a free pickup for them. Uh, once he gets back into that lineup, which will make it all the more scarier. Him coming back is just so big for them because they already have the number one offense in the league. They have the number two defense in the league. How do you go up from there? They've gotten back into their like motion offense where everyone's touching the ball almost every possession. They're finding the open guy. Adding Clay Thompson to that makes your spacing so much better to where 
at any point you're going to have someone open and now you're adding another open guy who happens to be one of the best three-point shooters of all time. So you're giving the greatest offense in the league right now an even even better shooter than they like already have. It's it's absurd. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure how well their defense is going to hold up over the rest of these 82 games, but so far it doesn't look like they're slowing down. Uh, the group's really committing on that side of the floor, but I mean, it's a long season, so I mean, it's always tough to see with the defense early on. The other guy that you need back is James Wiseman, and I know he was the number two overall pick a couple years ago. Um, hasn't played up to the standard that they were hoping so far um, in his career, but once again, he's a really young guy. And at the center position... I think it's going to be really good for the Warriors. Like you said, they're 12-2. and two. They're playing excellent basketball. And then you add Clay Thompson back. You add James Wiseman back. And I think it really opens up for a guy who hasn't been as good as they wanted him to be, but obviously has talent off the charts and potential off the part charts in Wiseman. Teams are going to have to spread out their defense a lot to, to cover the three-point shot that the Warriors are always threatening to take, even with Jordan Poole now, too. So I think that's really going to open up the the pain a little bit for Wiseman and make it a little bit easier on him to play his game and and take a few steps forward. So that'll be interesting to see. He's another guy that's like ultra athletic, so he'll be able to run rim to rim. And I think last year a lot of his issues were the fact that they kind of were trying to rely on him to score because they didn't have Clay. They didn't. I think Steph was hurt for a little part of the year, so they're kind of relying on him to put the ball in the basket. Where this year, like they're they're not going to have to rely on him, so anything that you get out of him will be extra. They've legitimately turned themselves into contenders. I mean, they're in basically the first team we've gone into depth on um, about contending for a title. I actually, you know, you're making these things, I actually kind of had them as like almost a dark horse team for me. Yeah. Because coming into the year, they're the Warriors. They, you know, they've won those four titles and, um, or they only won three. Um, but they, they've just been, they, they won three. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, they won all, all three against the Cavs those four years in a row. They played each other every year. Jeez Louise. But going into the year, they weren't like the favorite. No one really talked about the Warriors being the team to come out of the West. And they've, you know, they've been the best team in all of the NBA so far. So credit to them. Uh, I know we're a few games in, so I still had them as kind of a little bit of a dark horse team. Yeah, they've turned themselves into contenders. So I was a little borderline on where I wanted to put them. Let's jump into a, another team. You know, I, I have a little bit of bias. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I do pull for the Denver Nuggets. And now that they're really good, all my friends just talk about them nonstop. So it's kind of forced me to really pay attention to them. And their starting lineup when they're healthy is really, really good. When they go Jokic, Murray, Gordon, Porter Jr., and then throw Will Barton in there as well. They're really deep. And Nikola Jokic has obviously won the MVP last year, but he's really turned himself into a top three or top five player in the NBA. Yeah, he's, he's really exciting to watch. And if it wasn't for Jamal Murray getting hurt last year, I think they would have had a chance to be a lot, little bit more competitive against the Suns. I don't know exactly when Jamal Murray's scheduled to come back, but when he when he comes back and you can put him back in the lineup, that team is uh, pretty intimidating, especially with Jokic, who won the MVP last year. And I don't think there's another guy, another big man that's better than him uh, or even really on his level at all. You know, argue Joel Embiid. Um but it, when you look at a lot of advanced analytics and stuff like that, win shares, uh, Jokic really dominated in those categories last year. Especially if you look at health. I mean, Embiid is always missing these playoff games year after year after year. And Jokic just isn't. It's What's interesting about the Nuggets right now is they're missing MPJ and Jamal Murray. And yet they're still just killing teams on the court. That's two of their three best players not even playing right now. And Jokic is just so good that he's just making every other team look bad. That's absurd. Like, Jamal Murray is supposed to come back sometime in April, which is about right when the play-in games are going to start and the playoffs start to take off. Even if he gives 40% of what he normally does, that's absurd. That's crazy, because you're adding that to a team that already has arguably the best player in the league right now. And MPJ, who knows when he's going to come back, but he has the potential to drop 25-plus on any given night. He makes scoring so much easier for the rest of the team when he's there. So playing without two of your three best players, you wouldn't assume that this team would be winning, but Jokic is just that good and that impactful that he just turns everyone around him into a winning player. Yeah, and when you add Porter Jr. and Murray back in the lineup, it really eases things up for Jokic as well. You can't put all your defensive uh efforts into just stopping him because now you got, you know, an all-star level player in Jamal Murray and uh, a budding all-star 
in Michael Porter Jr. What a steal for the Nuggets to get him out of the draft because, you know, there was all those injury concerns, but he was the number one recruit out of high school, didn't play a lot at Mizzou because of those injuries. But he's turned himself into a really nice player when he's healthy. Um, and, you know, he, he has the potential to turn into a, a really, really good all-star, maybe borderline superstar kind of player. You know, it, it obviously he's not there yet, but the the talent is definitely there and the potential. Nikola Jokic has just been dominant. There was times last year where like people didn't know if they would actually give him the MVP, smaller market guy, not a huge name, not as flashy to watch as, you know, your guys like Kevin Durant and like LeBron James and Curry. But Nikola Jokic does it on both sides of the ball. And people want to talk about that. Nikola Jokic on win shares, he's the leader in the NBA in offensive win shares this year. But in defensive win shares, he's fourth. He's doing it on both sides of the ball. And that really at this point, I mean, he's got to be the best player in the NBA. They have a really fun matchup coming up tomorrow with the Bulls, who, if we talk about them, I think coming into the season, they you kind of list them as a dark horse team because of their offseason pickups with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, who's turned himself into one of the better point guards in the NBA, and Alex Caruso, who is arguably a top five defender in the NBA at his position. And that matchup should be super fun. And talking about the Bulls, they've started very well, 10 and 5, after a long stretch of not being very good. And granted, I'm biased, but I think at this point, we're going to have to list them as a contender just because of the way they've been playing. 15 games is a decent amount of this, almost a fourth of the schedule. They're Them at 10 and 5, and their first West Coast road trip of the year has been super exciting to watch as a Bulls fan for me, uh, just seeing how the team is gelling together with Billy Donovan as their coach. And Zach Levine, who we knew that he could score and he was one of the better scorers in the league, but he's also turned himself into a just in general, one of the best, better players in the league. And to watch his ascent in, throughout this league into probably a perennial all-star for the next few years to come has been uh, very exciting to watch. You mentioned the Bulls as contenders. This is jumping the gun a little bit, but they're they're one of my pretenders. Uh, and it's, it's not because of what they're going to do in the regular season. It's not because of the talent they have, because they do have talented players. Uh, Vucevic, uh, DeRozan, Lonzo. Zach Levine, those are all good players, but their best player right now is DeRozan. Uh, he's a legitimate MVP candidate. I think he's top five right now in the odd. He's doing incredible. He's also probably one of the worst playoff performers that I've seen in the past decade, not because he drops off super steadily in an embarrassing fashion like Paul George sometimes does, but his efficiency numbers drops uh, and he shoots primarily mid-range shots, which is great when you're in the regular season. You don't have to worry about threes as much, and you're kind of just trying to score. But come playoff time, he just kind of has this habit of falling off. And it's the reason why that Raptors team with Lowry and DeRosa never really took off. Because uh, in the regular season, every year we talk ourselves into them. We say the Raptors are a dark horse team. They might actually get the chip and then come playoff time, where does DeRozan go? And that's kind of what led to the downfall of the Raptors. And then you placed him with Kawhi Leonard, who's who is a better player, but also doesn't shrink in those playoff moments. And you kind of saw what happened. They won the chip, and it was a big year for Toronto that year. But it's hard for me to trust the Bulls because right now I don't trust their best player. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. My, my argument back to you would, would be that I don't know if Demar Derozan has ever played around a more talented group of guys. He's had he had Kyle uh, Kyle Lowry in Toronto. They kind of relied on him to be the best player. And now when you have Levine, when you have Lonzo, who's not only is he a really good defender and point guard in general, but he can also shoot to three now, shooting at about a 44% clip, which is very high and it's uh, well above his career average. I think just the amount of guys that surround him now can make him a better player in the playoffs. The one thing that I would be worried about as a Bulls fan in the playoffs is just the playoff pedigree. Guys like Vucevic have never been in the playoffs. Levine's never been in the playoffs. The only guy with a lot of playoff pedigree is Alex Caruso, obviously when he won that ring in, in Los Angeles, but he was just more of a role player. Granted, you need every championship team needs those great role players, but you're, when your star players haven't had that playoff experience outside of DeRozan, who has the experience, but he never had too much of a deep run, uh, that's a little bit concerning, but also they're just it's kind of like playing with house money this year. The Bulls weren't expected to be a championship contender at this point in the rebuild, and now we're talking about them as potentially being one, and even listing them as a pretender means that people are starting to take notice of them. 
like you said, DeRozan, he might falter in the playoffs, whatever it is. But Jordan has a good point is that they're really, really deep. Like this, a very depthy team. Like they have a lot of guys who can really produce at a pretty high level. Lonzo Ball is a great pickup. Um, kind of playing up to it. I don't think anyone ever, even after he's selected super high in the draft, ever thought he was going to be a superstar player in the NBA. But he's fallen into the role that I think they would hope him to fall into. My one concern with them is, I mean, there's other concerns as well. Um, they don't have a true big man, which I know the, the lead's kind of gone away from being like a big physical big man down there. But when the playoffs come around, and this is how the NBA works, is that it's it's a long season. There's a lot of running. You want to be healthy for the playoffs. They don't play a lot of defense um, in the regular season throughout the course of the game. If it's close late, they start they start really shutting it down. But once you get to the playoffs, I mean, it's a physical, physical game. And if you don't have a guy down there who can, you know, you can rely on to, you know, do some of the dirty work, I don't know, uh, and get those boards um, in those in those playoff games, that kind of concerns me a little bit. Right. And watching them closely, obviously Vucevic is their big guy. And he's, I mean, he's pretty, he's serviceable, but he's not Joel Embiid. He's not Nikola Jokic. He's not even, he's not even close to Giannis. And even though Giannis is not your traditional big man, he's still very, he's still very big, obviously. And the concern I have about the big man issue is that we don't have a second big man. Right now, Vucevic is out uh, with COVID and we're, the Bulls are replacing him with Tony Bradley, Tony Bradley. who <laughs> you just throw isn't Alize Johnson in there too, but right, and he—they're just not NBA starters; they're role players. And when you don't have a second big man, it's kind of worrisome going into the playoffs when Vucevic has to get a rest. You want to be able to throw a big man in there that you can trust. We'll and that's see. something they can go get at the deadline as well. Because right, right. the other thing is Vucevic, I, I feel like he plays more as a power forward than he does necessarily as a center. I think that's where he's at. He I plays, know he's he plays out on the perimeter a lot. He's not yeah. he's not your traditional post-up big man. Yeah. And it, even if you go get a guy at the deadline who, you know, he doesn't have to be a star, but a guy who can, who can give you a few minutes down low and actually, you know, mix up the offense a little bit. I, I like that. And play defense. And Caruso is really the only guy on their team with a lot of experience in the playoffs. And like I said, playoff basketball, a lot more defensively oriented because people play really, really hard defense in the playoffs. And Caruso's one of the better defenders on the perimeter in the NBA. So that's a nice tool to have in the back pocket. Zach Levine, we talked about it. Zach Levine's been one of the most underrated players in basketball, especially over the last couple of years. People thought he was just a dunker from those contests. But no, he's, I mean, even last year when the Bulls didn't have all these pieces, I mean, he started, he was really, really good last year. Yeah, he's he's super exciting to watch, and I'm glad he's finally getting his due this year. Being on a winning team, this is the first time he's ever been on a winning team in the NBA. And going for, he was on the Timberwolves, and he came to the Bulls, and you relied on him to score. And now, when you have all those guys around him, you don't have to rely on him, which is the same you can say for DeRozan too. DeRozan being in San Antonio and Toronto, he was relied upon to score a lot of points, and now they can kind of share the rock, which is been super exciting to watch as a Bulls fan. Yeah. And like you said, DeRozan doesn't have to carry the weight that he had to when he was in St. Louis or when he was in Toronto. San Antonio. Uh, it's, oh my <laughs> God. The ST, you know, uh, I was, <laughs> yes, he was obviously, there's no basketball team in St. Louis. I was San Antonio, but I, I like the Bulls. I think they're playing a little bit over their heads right now. I think they're a playoff team. I don't think that they can really come out of the East. The Nets, obviously, they don't have Kyrie, but they're still, you know, a star-studded, loaded team. The team that I want to get your thoughts on, what do you guys think about the Milwaukee Bucks? Obviously, a really slow start for a team that is coming off a championship. So, the Bucks, I, I'm not worried about the Bucks at all. Uh, they're one of the three teams who I kind of have locked into being, like, surefire contenders. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's their, their loss have been because of injuries. I mean, Drew Holiday just got back. Chris Middleton just got back. Uh, but other than that, it's just been Giannis out there. And he's good enough to keep them afloat and kept them at 500, a little bit below 500. He He's good enough to get them those wins. They were on his brother out there, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who probably shouldn't even be in the league. Uh, but because his brother is Giannis, uh, a lot of teams kind of use his brother kind of as free agency bargaining almost. Uh, the Bucks did that, and the Lakers tried to do that with the other brother, Kostas. I mean, he was in their starting lineup. That's a player who most guys wouldn't even wouldn't even be on most teams. So yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about them, especially now that Chris Middleton is back, Drew Holiday is back. This is a team with a big three, and you take out two of those players, uh, the Bucks don't have a lot of depth. That's that's not really their calling card. I would worry a little bit about some of the role players like 
Brooke Lopez is getting a little older. I want to see if Middleton and Drew Holiday can do it again in the playoffs because in years past, they weren't really as good as they were last year. But I mean, Bobby Port is kind of your do-everything guy. He's a lot like Caruso in that aspect where like he's just a role player. He's just going to do the dirty work for you. Grayson Allen has been incredible this season. He's just shooting the lights out of the gym. He's crazy. So, And that's a guy when everyone comes back, he's not going to get as many minutes, but it's a... You talk about they don't have as much depth, but that's a nice guy to, to come off the bench right. with. And you'd rather get Bobby Portis at 100% for 10 to 12 minutes than Bobby Portis at 60% when he's going out there for 25 minutes. And to me, it ultimately just comes down to the fact that they've been injured. Drew Holiday missed six games with an ankle injury. Middleton obviously was out with COVID for eight games. And then they had a long playoff run. The finals didn't end until the middle of July, so they barely got a three-month offseason. And when you're celebrating a title, you don't have a super long offseason. It's going to take a while to get your feet underneath you. And I wouldn't be surprised if by Christmas this team's on a roll again. Drew and Chris were in the Olympics. Right. They they went to Tokyo. They didn't get an offseason. So them coming back at all and like getting injured, that's not all surprising. I mean, that's exhausting to go from a title run to the Olympics, which they won. Like, it's not shocking at all that this Bucks team is 7-8. And to be honest, if you asked me before the season and told me they would be seven and eight, I'd without Chris and without Drew Holiday, like I'd be shocked it was that good, especially in this Eastern Conference that has been super competitive this year and has not been the pushover conference it has been in the past. It's, I mean, these are like close games from all across the board. 13 of these teams are competitive, I think. I'm not really shocked that they're seven and eight, but I would expect that they're going to get much, much better. And especially they're they're playing for April. They're playing for May. Uh, they don't care about these regular seasons games. It's kind of like LeBron back when he was in Cleveland, when they kind of when they started slow a few times and everyone was blaming the coaching staff. And by the time we got around to February, March and April, they were, were getting on a roll. And you don't really worry about teams that are with veterans that are coming off long playoff runs. You just you just want to see how they look in the second half of the season. Yeah, and you talk about the sport of basketball and, and then the way the NBA plays. Basketball, great sport, obviously. Very, very popular and it keeps getting popular uh, in America. But when you talk about a game-to-game basis, like the importance of regular season games, I know you know, the MLB plays 162, so each game doesn't mean as much. But the way the MLB is played is even if you don't go as hard as you can every game, still individual matchups that people don't want to lose, the pitcher versus the hitter, so that you're getting not playoff level games, but, you know, players that are playing hard. But in the NBA, you know, regular seasons out of the four major sports in the United States, I feel like the regular season isn't really a telltale sign to who's going to be successful in the playoffs as it is for other sports. Uh, You know, the dominant teams in hockey usually go and play, you know, well in the playoffs. The dominant teams in football and, and just regular season games in football, obviously, they play 17. So <laughs> every game is really important. But basketball, it kind of seems like, you know, you can really just fly under the radar, especially because eight teams for each conference make the playoffs. And all you got to do is make it in. And these really, really good teams, it's more important, like you said, to be healthy down the stretch and into the playoffs than it is to win at the start of the year. I, I agree with that. And the one thing I would say to that is this year, there's just a lot more parity in the league than there has been in past years normally by the trade deadline if you're like the 10th seed you're looking at the rest of the season you're saying like no like let's let's try and get a better draft pick but now playing tournaments here and all of a sudden you're the 10th seed and that's a chance at a playoff spot like of course if you're the 11th seed you're looking like oh we got to get up to 10 so we can get into the play-in uh so i think i think that definitely it helps last year with uh the grog of the season but also that was a 72 game season uh that was 10 games shorter it's even longer this year uh back to the normal length so i almost blanked out that they have the play-in games now you're talking about basically 10 teams making it i, I know it's not technically the playoffs the play-in games but it's basically a playoff there's game. 10 there's 10 there's teams 10 teams getting teams. more than 82 games exactly yeah. that's the thing about the nba that i really don't enjoy because I really think when two-thirds of the teams are making the playoffs, you don't need to play well during the regular season. You just have to be about an average team and sneak in. And obviously these teams like the Bucks, and obviously we just that's that's what this talking point started on, is they're going to be healthy down the stretch and they're not playing as well right now because they're not healthy. But if they end up at a like three to six seed, it doesn't matter. They're still going to be super talented and healthy going in. And nobody wants, nobody wants to see the Bucks in no. the playoffs anyways, even if they end up as a six seed like the Bulls right now are the, th- the three seed and that would be such an unfavorable matchup if the Bucks were a six seed so 
like you said, the regular season with 10 teams so-called making it in the playoffs, anything can happen. It's it's totally just a crapshoot. Yeah, what's interesting is you see the top teams with the play-in trying less because they're more secure. You saw that with the Lakers. I mean, they were in the play-in against the Suns, and the Suns were the team that upset them. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. Well, they won the play-in to be the eighth Exactly. Seed, but, they, yeah. they weren't even a play. It's, it's absurd. So, I mean, you see the top teams kind of taking it easier because in the NBA, generally, the best team wins the series. Uh, you don't see as many upsets. So, like, they don't have to worry about it. But these worst teams, and I think this is what the league was trying to do, a lot of them aren't tanking as much, which is how you got the Warriors last year who were in the play-in, uh, who had an awesome game against the Grizzlies and an awesome game against the Lakers. Like, I think that's kind of what the league's going for. And it'd be nice to see the Nets try all season or the Bucks try all season. The last time a team did that was the 15-16 Warriors and they had the best record in NBA history. And that was fun. That was that was one of the most fun seasons in NBA history. But like, you're just not going to get that. And near the end of the season, teams play around the seating a little bit. Uh, some teams are going to lose games intentionally. Like, I bet if the Bucks were the six seeds and the Bulls were the three seed, the Bulls... Bulls will probably lose a few games to get to that four seed spot. It's interesting what they're doing with the play-in tournament. I like seeing the worst teams do better, but yeah, I mean, you see these great teams not caring as much, but it's a long season. I can't really blame them. Yeah. No one's going to remember how you play in October, November, and December. They're going to remember how you play in May and June. So I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So that's just the way the NBA is set up, and that doesn't take away from how exciting the playoffs are and how when you're seeing these <laughs> freaky athletes playing at such a fast and high level i don't really care about missing out i mean right now you get football season anyways people are more invested into that so you know when the nba really takes its spotlight on in in may and june you know the best teams are going to be playing and they're going to be playing healthy and i think that's better for the nba anyways there's a few teams that we i think we we have to touch up on before we move to college basketball and one of those teams is the brooklyn nets uh obviously you know, they're still playing fine. They're 11 and 5. But the big story is that Kyrie Irving is more than likely not going to play this season, at least for the Nets. Yeah. I mean, not only is he might not play, he might play like James Harden is not that guy anymore. He's not. He's putting up decent numbers right now, but he is not getting calls by the refs. And he used to be an explosive enough player to where uh, if he wasn't getting the calls in a certain game, he was so quick off the jump that he could get to the rim. But he's gotten so accustomed to just looking for contact every time he goes to the rim that he's not he's not used to just trying to score the basket when he's going in. And so you see the Nets at 11 and 5, you're saying, well, they have Harden and KD. KD has been so good this year that he's kept them at 11 and 5. He's playing some of the best basketball of his career. But it's a little worrisome because Harden's clearly out of shape. Uh, he's not getting the calls he used to get anymore, and it's clearly affecting his play. So... He's one of the best scorers I've seen in modern NBA history, but he might bounce back. He might not. It's definitely one of the things I'm watching for the rest of the season is like, what's going on with him? Yeah, the, we talk about James Harden. The NBA kind of took notice to a little bit of a rule change this year with regarding James Harden is when James Harden kind of does his three point uh, shimmy act when he pump fakes and then leans into a defender who's trying to contest a shot instead of him getting that call every year like he used to, they've relaxed on that because James Harden really just took advantage of it. And now I, I don't know if that's in his head, which is causing him to struggle or not, but he's definitely not the same player that he he has been in past years. And going back to Kevin Durant, if it wasn't for Steph Curry's level of play this year, Kevin Durant would probably be the front runner for the MVP right now uh, just because of the way he's played without Kyrie, with all the drama surrounding that team with Harden not being at the level that he's at. Kevin Durant, really, he signed up to be in a big three with Kyrie and James Harden, but right now he's he's putting the team on his back by himself. You talked about Brooklyn being fine. They're 11-5, and five, but all of their losses are against contenders. They don't have, really have any good wins. Like They got throttled by Milwaukee. They lost to Charlotte, Miami, the Bulls, and Golden State. Most of them are pretty good teams, so we've yet to see a very impressive win out of them so far and if you can't beat those big teams you're not going to beat them in the playoffs so we'll see what's going on with them yeah i mean it's it's all gonna be on kd man i mean it's it's all on him and for the first time since oklahoma city he actually is gonna have to be that guy 
And Golden State, if he wasn't there, I mean, you were on a team that had the best record in the NBA the season before. Like, he did not have to worry about, like, not playing up to standards some nights on Golden State. But he does now. I think that's the most fun version of KD we're going to get. Is when it's kind of back against the wall. We saw that against the Bucks last year in the playoffs. He was missing Kyrie. He was missing Harden. And that's whenever he's at his peak and he says, okay, I'm going to try my best. I'm actually going to play good basketball. And he dropped a 50 bomb in the playoffs. And he just... He makes it look easy when he's playing his best. He he makes it look so easy. And the remarkable thing about that is that they were half a shoe away from winning that series against Milwaukee when KD hit that what looked like a three but was a two and helped uh, Milwaukee win that series in game seven. And if, if the Nets go on to beat Milwaukee, that might have been their toughest competition. So we talked about them struggling out of the gates, but they were right there last year. So if they do get Kyrie back and they get some form of James Harden back, they're going to be super scary and could end up being a favorite in the East if they were able to get their whole team back. But obviously that's probably a little easier said than done at this point. They don't play great defense. The Nets don't, especially their top guys, which concerns me. But, you know, Claxton, uh, Nicholas Claxton, actually is really, really good defensively at center. I know it's going to be him and Griffin playing there a lot this year. But they have so much talent that, I think they'll figure it and obviously they've played well fine too. Um, Kevin Durant's playing an MVP level, maybe the greatest scorer of all time. Not too worried about the Nets, especially. I know you said the Eastern Conference is definitely better this year, but still not the Western Conference. So I think I think the Nets still have a really good chance to come out of uh, the Eastern Conference and uh, maybe make a run at a, at a title that they've been desperately looking for for so long. The other thing I want to mention with them is that Joe Harris and Patty Mills have been shooting the lights out from beyond the arc. And those are two guys that, especially when when Harden and Durant are clicking, they're going to have open looks. And if they're shooting at this high of a rate, they're just going to really have a successful offense. Patty Mills and Joe Harris are second and third in three-point percentage this year in the NBA. So they've uh, they've been fantastic and kind of been leading the Nets. We need to touch up on the Los Angeles Lakers. I have them as a straight-up pretender. And I even saw a tweet. It was like, wow, this this uh, this Lakers team would have been awesome in 2012. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> My thing about the Lakers is that when they traded for Westbrook, now you're when you have a full team, you have Westbrook, LeBron, and AD, and there's only one basketball. Westbrook, he does get a lot of assists, but he doesn't know when to share the ball at the right time, in my opinion. And... I don't think he's he's never been successful or himself when he's played on a team with other superstars. He is the he's the NBA history leader in turnovers. Yeah. He's the I'm not sure about total, but average, he has averaged more turnovers than any other player in NBA history. I mean, you said there's only one ball, and it's funny, most of the time that's like, oh, there's too many scorers. Unfortunately with the Lakers, there's one ball and most of the time it's in Russ's hand. Right. Uh, which is you'd rather it be in LeBron's hands or AD's hands. I'm as a Lakers fan, uh, I saw the Russ trade and I probably mourned for about a month straight before talking myself into the Russ experience. <laughs> I've watched every game this season so far, and the Russ experience is not fun. It's it's not not a good time. It's definitely it's been tough. And they're missing LeBron right now, so that's part of it. You guys both you had them at the pretenders. I have them as a dark horse team to win the chip at this point, which is funny because before I had them as a contender. I'm not sure if you can even call them that. I mean, it's the Lakers. I mean, before the season, it was like Nets, Lakers. That's the finals. That's what it's going to be. My thing is like, I don't know how a team can go from a contender to a dark horse because especially with the Lakers, like their basketball's iconic franchise outside of the Celtics. So like to me, a dark horse means like you're not really taking them seriously, but they can come up at you at any time, which the Lakers can. They, they're talented enough to, but at this point, LeBron hasn't been healthy in a while. Even if he comes back, he's still LeBron. He's still great, but then he comes back and he's you're starting, you're trying to gel him with Russ. And then, to me, a lot of the problem is that I don't think Anthony Davis is assertive enough. He The ball needs to be in his hands more than it needs to be in Russ's hands. And granted, Russ plays the point guard position, so it's going to be in his hands more regardless just because of the position they play. But Anthony Davis, whenever I watch the Lakers, which granted is not extremely often, but Anthony Davis is the most of the time he's the best player on the court if LeBron's not out there. And it just doesn't seem to me like asserting his will enough out there with guys that just aren't on his level competitively. And I completely agree with Brent here. I think the Lakers are honestly a better team if you 
<laughs> literally just take Russell Westbrook out of the equation. Oh, they, oh, they are. Oh, they are. Because I want the ball if... in Anthony Davis, like, like you're saying. Anthony Davis needs the ball. LeBron James, those are the guys who need to be. Man, I want the ball in Rondo's hands before yeah. Russ at this point. Could I mean, it's absurd. If, like, could you imagine if Lonzo Ball was still on the team, the way that Lonzo Ball has evolved? Like, oh, yeah. Lonzo Ball is not Russell Westbrook. He's not a he's you a don't pass, need him to score. He's a pass-first yeah. guard. He'll score the ball if he needs to. And Lonzo knows how to get the ball in LeBron's hand. He knows how to get the ball. He would know how to get the ball in Anthony Davis' hands. And there's just, to me, there's so many better options than Russell Westbrook. And I think just because of his name, that's why he's out there. And they wouldn't be a team you'd want to see in the playoffs just because of their name brand. I think they have second round capability. I don't think they can make it all the way to it finals. I would trade Caruso for Russ straight up right now if I had the option. And that's that's a lot because of contracts. I mean, Russ is so expensive, but... They lost Caruso in the offseason for nothing. And it wasn't a cap space thing. It was a luxury tax thing. You are the Los Angeles Lakers and you didn't want to pay more luxury tax to keep a guy who is known as a winning player who hoped to bring you a chip. And Caruso, mm-hmm. I saw this this week that he said that he would have taken a lesser contract from the Lakers to stay in L.A. Like it's it's absurd. Like how how can a team that's the Los Angeles Lakers get away with that? That's how I feel when talking about the Chicago Cubs finances. <laughs> Caruso, he was great during those runs, uh, turned himself into a very reliable, good starter in the NBA. And I, I don't, to me, just Russell Westbrook has never been a winner. No, winner. and he's known and as he's, not being a winner. Yeah, and it's like he had those MVP seasons, you know, he averaged a triple-double, but where did it get him? Where, a lot of those stats were padded too. It's, it's when he has the ball every single play, of course he's, and obviously, I'm not saying Russell Westbrook, Maybe one of the best athletes in the NBA is really freaky, fast and strong and takes it to the board well. But he doesn't shoot well, not, doesn't have like a great jumper, is not going to shoot the three. And like as good as he is and how impactful he could be on another team that won't win a championship anyways, but he could be a very good player on another team, I think he actually hurts the Lakers. He just takes away a lot of options, honestly. Uh, your spacing goes down the drain with him because he can't hit a three. You talk about how he'd be going on a team that's maybe doesn't have championship aspirations. He was on the Wizards last year, and they were okay. The Wizards are much better this year just in the trade they made with the Lakers. So KCP, Kuz, and Montrez Harrell. They got better without Russ and adding those guys. It's absurd because they're not even a championship contender. He's, at this point, hurting teams that are regular season teams. It's difficult because you don't know. I don't know what the Lakers thought process was behind the deal because he's known as being a bad playoff player and you're a playoff team, like you're playing for a chip. It'll be interesting to see. They also haven't had Ariza, uh, THT, Kendrick Nunn, LeBron for most of the year. So they have a lot of injuries. So they definitely have a lot of room to grow. And so I'm not counting them out yet, but it's definitely going to be difficult to make it work with Russ. And if they do, then like that's a huge title for LeBron because no one else made it work with Russ, and he was with some really good players at other points. So, right, we're gonna jump ahead to college basketball. I know there's some teams we didn't touch up on. You know, we do our next podcast about the NBA. We'll and see where the standings are and and how teams are playing uh, a few months from now and heading into the playoffs and and the end of the season. Uh, but we're gonna move into college basketball, and I I love the sport of basketball, but I love college basketball an infinite amount more than I like the NBA basketball and that might be a take that other people don't like but because it because obviously the NBA has gotten a lot better I hated it when it was just like hey you can play all these meaningless games because Cleveland and the Warriors are going to play each other in the finals now it's different it's more exciting but college basketball for the most there's so many teams that can win it so there's oftentimes like even though Duke and Kentucky and all those powerhouses North Carolina they're not going to win it every year and there's different teams that are really good every year Gonzaga has been so good for so long they've still not won the title and I love that a lot of these guys who are really 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 good basketball players and obviously some go to the NBA but a lot of them their careers just end after college and so they play their hardest night in and night out. And I think that's what's so exciting. Obviously, the 68 team tournament's great. What are some teams that you really like that you know are some of the best teams that you think you'd win the title? College basketball, to me, is just a totally different game. There's more of an emphasis on defense. Coaching is a big thing. A lot of these NBA guys basically coach themselves. When you're in college, you're working with 18 and 22-year-olds. You're, there's a lot of coaching going on. There's defense. There's an emphasis on on the low post game. and It's just a totally different game with the, the fan environment, the student sections. It's so fun to watch on a nightly basis. 
and there's so many more teams that you have the opportunity to watch. It makes it great. And we can't start this conversation without mentioning Gonzaga to me every year. It feels like they're right there. And if the college basketball was set up the way the NBA was with seven game series in the playoffs and stuff, I think Gonzaga would have multiple national championships at this point. The thing that makes it great is just the fact that it's always one and done. So if you have an off night, you're, you're done. And so with Gonzaga this year, it doesn't matter if they go 30-0 and 0 in the regular season at this point. If you don't win the national championship with Gonzaga standards, it's just a failure of a year just like it was last year. Gonzaga, they were so good last year, and I honestly think they got better this year. Another year of Timmy. He's going to be their best player. 37 against Texas. Yep. <laughs> Great. 6'10", dynamic. Uh, can run the floor. He just does it all. But they also added, for the first time in Gonzaga's history, they added the number one recruit coming out of high school this year, and that's Chet Holmgren. And he's seven feet tall. He's kind of like, you know, a, a little bit like, you know, Kevin Durant or Chris Hepsport Zingas, like uh, kind of like a mold of both of them. Like he can shoot the three. He runs the court really well, fast. He can play down low. He's obviously seven feet tall and he's going to do it all for them. I think that makes Gonzaga on top of the talent they already have. Very, very tough to beat. Another team, you know, they played them in the final four last year and they were an 11 seed. But now, you know, they might be the favorite to win the whole thing is UCLA. Well, they return their whole team. Too, they return so. their whole starting lineup from the Final Four team a year ago. They played against Zadia, and if you guys remember, that's one of the best college basketball games probably of all time regarding like you know UCLA, such a storied program as a big underdog. They played the undefeated number one team against Zadia, and they go to overtime, and it was like such wins it on that <laughs> like the half court shot. That was so, amazing. One of the better basketball, college basketball games of all time. And now they return all those guys. They also added Miles Johnson, uh, a transfer from Rutgers. And he, he's a big guy. He He's going to rebound and block for you. That's something that UCLA didn't have last year. They didn't have a big guy down low that could uh, really get that. And we've talked about it, especially in college basketball, a much more physical game that that's really going to help them out. And then Peyton Watson is a freshman this year. And it's almost like weird because they have all these starters. Like Some of these guys aren't going to have a lot of playing time compared to if they were somewhere else, because UCLA is that good. But Peyton Watson should probably be a lottery pick in the upcoming draft, at least projected. So UCLA, dangerous again. Uh, I'll let you guys talk about Gonzaga and UCLA all you want. I am personally going to be pulling for the 11-ranked Memphis team. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got Amoni Bates and Jalen Duran. What you guys said earlier, it's so fun, the single elimination thing, because the best team always wins in the NBA playoffs. Uh most of the time, injuries aside in the series, the better team's going to win. I love the tournament because you don't, the best team will not always win. It's like you guys said, Gonzaga like would have multiple championships if the best team always won, but they don't. And so I'm going to be pulling for the plucky Memphis team, who I say plucky. They're the they're the 11th ranked team in the nation right now. They also they had the best recruited class. In exactly. The they yeah. have Jalen Duran and Moni Bates, but like. <laughs> I just think it's such a fun story if those two come up, if Jalen Duran and Moni Bates just like take on the tournament and it's one of those like epic performances like Magic Johnson when he was in the tournament. That's what I'm looking for. I want to see those two guys just come in, kick off all these teams, be be kind of plucky underdogs, kind of not. And I just kind of want to see that that story come up because honestly, I don't see any reason why why they can't do it. I think both those guys are talented enough to lead a college team which is crazy to say because most of the time star players aren't what win college games. But mm -hmm. I think those guys are good enough they can do it. On paper, you look at these guys and they're so talented. The only reason that I kind of hold back from saying like they're the team is because they've been saying this for three years now. They've been having these insane recruitment classes where people think they're going to be one of the best teams so in the country. So they do. So they're and due. They, <laughs> they, they haven't even made the, they're, they're not even making the tournament, which is really disappointing for a team that has all this talent. Uh, this year, yes, they added Amoni Bates, who is the, he was the Gatorade, National Gatorade Player of the Year last year in high school. Uh, they're going to be ultra talented, awesome atmosphere to play in. I think they're going to be really, really good. I, I actually just watched them a, a whole game play because I like to watch uh, the St. Louis University Billikens play basketball. And it, it's disappointing for them. They're going to be actually probably a tournament team this year, but they That's lost Javante Perkins. Isn't that what it always is with yeah. Slough? Oh, I they're know. They're always supposed to be a tournament yeah. team. Well, they let, they had the they had the preseason A-10 player of the year in Javante Perkins. He goes down. He's out for the entire year. Um, so that doesn't help St. Louis. But I watched them play Memphis. And St. Louis, they, they ended up losing by 16, like, Obviously, Memphis, they won like 90 to 74 or something like that. But in the first half, I was watching this and St. Louis was for the first, you know, 15 minutes, the first half really playing with them. And St. Louis was playing 
awful. It was just a sloppy, sloppy basketball game. And that I thought that if St. Louis wasn't just playing this horrible, that like most teams would have just kind of dismantled Memphis there. But then you also saw sparks from Memphis where where they're just dominant, where like, you know, their talent really comes out. And I think as the year goes on and they get more gelling and they get more, because obviously they have a young team too, that they're kind of figured out by tournament times. I do agree that this is probably a different Memphis team than in years past. I just was not impressed at all when I was watching them the other night. Yeah, just just quick. I think we'd be remiss to end this conversation without talking about at least mentioning Duke. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Coach K's last year. They have a great recruiting class. It started well. And then they've had the drama this week with Paolo Bancaro, their number one player. Their guy could be the number one overall draft pick. In the upcoming draft, you got a DWI, and so did Coach K's grandson, who was involved. And it's obviously not a laughing matter, but just to see how they'll handle that. And Coach K, his last run here, there's a lot of drama that's not on the team. And when you have a, a team full of freshmen, they don't need that drama. They need to be focused and working hard and kind of coming together. And Paulo and Trevor Keels, who Trevor Keels looks like a linebacker playing point guard oh out my there. Gosh, yeah. When I watched him play against uh, Kentucky a it's couple a weeks strong ago. strong dude, yeah. Right? And they finished decent last year. They struggled, obviously didn't make the tournament, but they finished well. They brought in this great recruiting class, Coach K's last year. It feels like it's kind of lining up to be a special year for them if they can keep it all together off the court. Yeah. Banchero can play. He's going to be a special, special player. Um, he's another one of those guys, tall guys, six ten, a little bit more yes. than Chet. Yeah, that's why I, Chet. I feel like more as a, a kind of use him as like an archetype of like a Chris Saps Porzingis, a little bit of KD, just I, from the height, and they can shoot. I feel like a little bit with Chet too is like he's going to have a little bit of an adjustment period just because he's like so tall and skinny. Like the physicality of the college game, and then into the NBA game could be a little bit of an adjustment period for him too. But Bancaro, like you said, he runs the floor really, really well. He shoots. Uh, yeah, Katie, that's obviously Katie's Katie's the right. score of all time, maybe. A, a good archetype, I guess you'd say for that. Uh, Mark Williams last year, he's returning. In his last six games, averaged 16.7 uh, rebounds a game and uh, 1.7 blocks. That's a uh, the type of guy you need down low on a Duke team. Like you said, I know there's uh, the off-court stuff and that's not good, um, but if there's a guy who who has enough experience to handle stuff like that, it is Coach K. Mentioning Coach K, I know you, you know coaches aren't the end-all, be-all, and there might be a little added pressure for the players, but I think once the tournament comes around, and they will be a tournament team. They're not going to miss it like they did last year. They will be a tournament team. Now you go out there, you're playing for your coach and you're young, and it's not it like that's not the reason you want to win but there's also that added like hey this is the best college coach ever we need to win for him right this is his last year and it can't probably i feel like he just has that like special moment it's a story that, that the team exactly. can get behind exactly and there's not a, like analytics or scoring that you can kind of like back up that's just like sports like and i and i think that they're really gonna ride that out i think duke could definitely win the national championship right, well, this year let me let me present you this obviously we're not great at predictions Going back with the NBA, but if you had to take a team right now, who would you take? Before the DWI situation, I would have taken Duke. Now I'd probably just go back and take the very popular pick of UCLA. I think it's really tough. I think I'm pro- I'd probably go Duke still. They got a lot of the rest of the year to kind of work it out. Uh, Apollo is already back. Mm-hmm. I think he played and he scored 10 points in the season high, like eight rebounds. I think they're probably going to end up figuring that out. And plus, you know, I could go Gonzaga, which is what my gut's telling me. But every bracket I do, I'm always wrong. So I'm going to I'm going to go the other direction <laughs> so this time. Everyone, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say Duke. going to go against the gut and follow my heart instead. The last couple teams I want to uh, uh, actually take your t- What's your championship? <laughs> well, no, I was, we haven't mentioned this team, but I really like Kansas this year. I think this yeah. might be their year. They're, the they started well and they've got a veteran team with a veteran coach, obviously, who hasn't won in a while and. Kansas looked good against Michigan State to start of the season, and they're playing in a rugged Big 12 conference who should that should be really good again. And I'm looking for Kansas. But granted, we know that neither probably yeah. neither of our three picks are going to yeah. be right. So the cool thing about college basketball this year is usually college basketball, and it's also a cool thing about college basketball in years past, is that there's so a, a lot of the best players are only there for a year, and then they go to the NBA. There's a lot of turnover. Yes, there's a ton of turnover, which means new teams start to come up. But this year, because of COVID, and all these guys coming back, there's a lot of older teams. A lot of teams, I saw Kentucky usually averages like one of the lowest average ages, um, but this year is like 
the average age of the players on their team is the highest in Kentucky history. Like they're averaging over 21 year olds, which is, you know, like seniors. So that's going to be a little bit different, which, which will be interesting. I really like Texas. Obviously they, they won the big 12 tournament last year and then they go add Marcus Carr from Minnesota, who's one of the better players in college basketball. So I think the Texas will actually be really, really good this year. Kind of a, a underdog take to win the championship. And I've always been, I was this way last year but I don't think Houston's as good as people make them out to be. Last year they made the final four, but they played no one all season. And then they go into the tournament and people are like, oh, well they made the final four and I had hated on them so much, but they, they played a nine seed and then they played like an 11 seed and then a 10 seed. And then they finally ran into Baylor and they just got crushed. Right. So uh, Houston, I kind of think they're pretenders. One storyline to follow this year is we usually talk about the SEC being a, a football conference, but this year I think they're going to be really strong in basketball. You have Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, LSU. That should be a really exciting conference to follow, even though it's not traditionally a strong conference. Yeah, and they were great last year. That was the kind of like the coming out of the SEC last year, and they didn't lose a lot of guys to the NBA. Those teams in general, comparative right. to you know the Big Ten, those teams were so special last year, and the Big Ten obviously didn't perform at all in the tournament, but. You know, they still have a lot of really good teams. Iowa's going to take a big step back. But Illinois is going to be still right there, even though they don't have AO anymore. I think the stories this year are going to be interesting. There's a lot of them. Gonzaga, maybe they finally break through. Memphis is just two stars. You have Duke. You have Kansas, UCLA. I mean, there's a lot of stories this year. I feel like more than some years. It'll be really interesting to see, like, how it all shakes out. I think storyline-wise, if nothing else, it'll be really interesting to watch. The beauty of college basketball is, like we said, you don't know who's going to win. We could talk about 45 different teams right now who we could be like, hey, they can actually make a run at this. And that's awesome. And then the Uh, team that makes a run at it won't be one of those 45. No, no, it never is. is (laughs) We're definitely going to have to touch up on both these leagues eventually. Um, Brent, we'd love to have you back. This this has been a a fun podcast. I love talking basketball, especially hopefully we had to talk more college basketball again too because that's just so much fun this year and the NBA is fun this year. It's just you know, sports in general around the country uh, since coming back have been have been awesome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been Smack Talk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on our Twitter. And that's WU underscore S-M-A-A-C and our Instagram at WU Sports Club. You can subscribe to us wherever you find podcasts. Jordan Brent, thanks for joining as always. And hope you guys have a great week until we see you again.